0: Well, we're over in the book of First Timothy. It's been a little while since we've been in First Timothy. We've been doing other things through the month of December, but we are back here at uh, this one. We looked first at the qualifications that are going on here. First off, we saw about desire, that if you are going to want to be a, an overseer or a bishop, you first start off, You need to it needs to be a desire. You need to want it. No matter what it is that we're going to get in life, if we really want it, we must desire it. Because there's a whole lot of other things that are trying to get our attention. And we have to really want that particular thing. Because along the way, as we are going after the things of God, or the, to become a, a helper in the kingdom of God, a leader in the kingdom of God, there are going to be a lot of other things that are going to attract our attention. And we have to desire this more than anything else. As um, we were, I, w- I was thinking about this one time when we were up in, um, Uh, up in the city doing something with my my daughter and her husband and we were on our way to a particular restaurant that we desired to go to but along the way we passed a lot of those street vendors and it was in the middle of winter not the best time to to necessarily eat at a street vendor Mm -hmm. but if you have been in the city and you've smelled some of the street vendors oh man it can change your desire (laughs) you can walk by one of those places that's doing the gyros you know with the lamb cooking out there Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you may have desired pasta, but mm. <laughs> now you're smelling something. See, you can, be, uh, you can be sidetracked. You have to make sure that you focus on that particular desire and that you go after that particular thing and that you don't get distracted by all the other things that are coming up against you. If we want to be a leader in the kingdom of God, there are going to be a lot of other things that are going to come up that are going to try and attract our desires and to try and entice us to get us off the, off the path. Things for ourselves. Things that, that help us out, but not things that help the kingdom of God out. So we looked at the qualifications of an overseer, and then we have the qualifications here of a deacon. And at the end here, we'll compare some of the qualifications that were left off this list. Some of them are the same, but some of them are left off. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8, oh, I didn't put any of the scriptures in there. That's what I didn't do before I came on over. I'll have to read them off of the off of the screen. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, and not greedy for money. Now, the difference between a deacon and an overseer is, uh, and this word deacon here does not carry the article, it's not sp- talking about anybody in particular, it's just a group or a class of people in ministry, deacons. The overseers are given the, and I think I put it in your outline, it was, yeah I did, uh, as as the bishops or overseers were charged with the spiritual oversight, these were commissioned with the temporal or the physical welfare of the people. So the bishops or overseers are spiritual oversight of the people, whereas the deacons are the temporal things or the physical welfare of the people. That's what they were to, to look. So there's two groups, there's two areas of responsibilities that, that, that you were supposed to do. And God is first off with the deacons, there's not as many qualifications for them which means more people can be deacons than can be overseers. Not as many qualifications, not as many things you have to do. So he's first off putting people into the testing ground of taking care of the temporal needs. I didn't move this up yet. Could be having you some issues. There we go. Is that coming over a little bit better? (laughs) Amazing when it happens and you put stuff in the right place. So you're tested in this in the, in the area of deacon. You kind of move into the area of deacon first and let's see how you do with handling these things. And some people, that's really what their calling is and that's where they're going to be at, taking care of the temporal, the physical things. But other people were called into something different. And that was maybe, it may have been a spot where they stopped over to prove themselves. And, and then God says, all right, we're going to move on. Remember Jesus says to the to the disciples, if we can't trust you with the, with, with, uh Mammon, how can we trust you with the really important things, the really valuable things? If you can't be trusted with money, temporal things, how can you be trusted with that which is valuable? And so that's where we're seeing the difference in here. So it says, likewise, deacons must be reverent. The word reverent there means those inviting reverence. There are some people who just don't ever know what it is to be reverent. They walk into a situation and they don't mind calling attention to themselves. They walk. They walk into a situation. They're loud. They can be uh drawing. Remember that long time ago, we did a skit, and Keith came in over here, and he was loud and and rude, and and drew attention to himself. And he did such a good job of it. We had one person who was so pulled into it that she turned around in the middle of the service and rebuked him. <laughs> and we knew we we knew we were doing a good job with it then. But there's some people that will do that and they're just very, they don't know the reverence part. If you're going to be a deacon, if you're going to be someone who's going to be entrusted with some things, you need to know what reverence is. When you walk into the sanctuary, you walk into the presence of God, you don't just uh, draw attention to yourself. You see what's going on and how is it that I can fit in and be reverent in this. You are inviting to reverence. You know how to, to handle that. Uh, Double tongued. I put the whole definition I pulled out here right in your outline, saying one thing and meaning another and making different representations to different people about the same thing. Now, I didn't put the word politician in there. (laughs) Is that what you just said back there? (laughs) But you almost could, because sometimes politicians tend to be in front of one group. You know, they get in front of the women's group and they're all about women. They get in front of the men's group. They're all about men. They get in front of the gun fighting group. They're all about guns. They get in front of the whatever group. They're all against guns. Uh, And It's not what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to know what the truth is and stand for it. And so he says, don't be double-tongued. You should not be saying one thing over here and another thing over here and become embarrassed about it. Mm -hmm. So this is not when you are a deacon, you should not do these things. He is saying when you find people who order themselves in such a way as that they are not double-tongued and know how to recognize reverence or bring reverence in, those are the people that you select from. So it's not that you get into the position of deacon and you become all these things. No one should be in a position of deacon who is not these things. Which means that everyone in a church should be putting these things into practice. Because they should already be at work in your life before you could ever be put into the position of deacon. It's not, not, not saying one thing and meeting another. Don't say one thing to one group of people and then go around to somebody else and say something else. That's just not, not the way it is. But there are church leaders who so will do this. There are people that have gotten not only into the deacons, but into the overseer area, and they are double-tongued. I have been around a number of them. I didn't necessarily like it, but, if, you know, you find out about these things. I think one of the most stark ones I, I had was a particular minister that I served with, and eventually um they were going to make him into the pastor of the church that I was at. And he would tell me all the time, you know, he knew I came out of Rhema. He would talk about Brother Hagin. And whether people liked Brother Hagin or not didn't matter to me one bit at all. I knew I liked him and I knew what I got from him and whether you got anything from him or not, it's fine. It, it didn't bother me. But for some reason, he thought in order to get my approval, I think that he had to have a, um, affection for Brother Hagin. And so when we have a conversations, he would talk to me about how much he liked Brother Hagin and, how much he respected him and so forth. And, and uh there's one time I was getting ready to leave the church. I was just putting some things in, there in in order. And I went to knock on the door of his office. He had already moved into the pastor's office or was in the pastor's office for something, talking to um, somebody else. And as I was getting ready to knock on the door, I heard Brother Hagin's name mentioned. And so I just stopped knock, getting ready to knock. I just kind of held my hand there and I listened. And he, his words were, I think that Brother Hagan is the biggest heretic who ever came into the church. Now, see, that's someone who's double-tongued. He was one thing to me and one thing to to others. And that's not what you do. If you believe something, then you stand on it. And and that's that's how you should conduct yourselves. It is a good way for all Christians to conduct themselves, to not say something in front of one group that you don't mean in front of another. If you uh, feel strong enough to be against something, then be against it no matter what group you're in front of. If you don't feel strong enough to be against something, then shut up. Don't say anything about it at all. You don't have to be vocally against everything. <laughs> you may be against something, but you don't have to be vocal about it. Just be vocal about those things that you feel that you have the Word of God to stand on and something to, to do and that you don't mind being in front of a group that uh, maybe believes in that particular thing and, well, you know, that uh, that you don't. So don't be double-tongued. These are things that he's saying that you you should not do. Let me see if I need to read that. Yeah, I put this in there. This this came from out of expositors. It said, "Persons who are in an intermediate position, having in the same department chiefs and subordinates, are exposed to a temptation to speak of the same matter in different tones and manners according to their." <clears throat> no wonder I left it out of yours. It's uh, <laughs> just the way he worded it. it wasn't I just wanted to tip me off to some things? As to what, what was there? But. When you get into a position of a deacon, when you get into a place of oversight, you are going to be in a place to, to, to speak on a number of situations that may go on in church in people's lives. And you need to be able to know, have the insight, which ones you should speak up against and which ones you should not. Because there are some things that are important, and there are some things that are not so important. And you don't necessarily have to have that uh, opinion on it. Not given to... Wine and, and so forth. That's kind of a common one. We see that uh, also for the others. Not given to. The word They're given to, is actually a compound word. It means pros, toward, and echo, to hold. So basically it means to hold toward or to apply to oneself. You could also put in there to be addicted to. Not given to, not addicted to, not holding to oneself, wine. Uh, in this particular case. Uh, you, don't want to, you don't want to see that. There are people in the church, and they are, are very uh, attached to alcoholic beverages. And that's what he's saying. You know, It's, it's okay if you want to have one here and there, but you should not be attached to them. You should be able to drop them, give them up, or, or whatever. Now, what came out of that is that sometimes we, we've thought that anybody in ministry, they shouldn't drink at all. And um, if, if people want to do that as a, in ministry, not drink at all, then that's something that they can certainly do. It's not necessarily Bible. It's not saying that anybody who partakes in alcoholic beverages is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, they did not have hard liquor. They only had wine. I don't even think they had beer here at this, at this particular time. I've made my decision that I will stay away from all of it, mostly because I can't stand the stuff. It smells awful to me. I can't get it past my nose. I don't know how people get it past their lips. I just I can't get near this thing. I told you the stories in restaurants I get it if I spilled near beer, which wasn't even the full stuff. That's all they could sell out in Oklahoma it was near beer. It's half the alcohol content of beer that you would buy around here. And if I spilled it on my hands, I could not work until my hands were washed. I could have my hands in dirt and be fine. But uh, not beer. Had to, had to wash it off. Can't, can't stand the stuff on my... Sometimes I have to pick up beer cans out over here. People leave them. I have to immediately go and wash my hands. I cannot work or do anything with beer on my hands. I just It's just something like... It, the smell drives me crazy. Don't like it? Oh, man, I don't like this stuff. But that, that's a decision I made, but not necessarily on a spiritual grounds. So if you see somebody who's in ministry and maybe they partake of some wine or something like that, don't feel, oh, how dare they? That's not the, what it is talking about here. If, uh, and, and some people would, would like to do that. I know sometimes in the Italian households, you know, not drinking can be considered to be offensive. And there have been times I have tried to, you know, certain toasts and stuff like that to hold my nose. And oh, man, I, anymore, I, I tried it a couple of times and kind of got to sit down and, Anymore, I just say, look, you're going to have to excuse me. I just <laughs> so they give me uh, what they call that, that sparkling cider stuff. You know, it kind of looks like the same thing. can fake some people out anyway. But that's, uh, that's not so bad. But not, not given to wine. He also says not greedy for money. Well, you're going to be in this area of ministry, you're going to be handling uh, natural things, temporal things, needs of people. And so he says you need to first off be able to handle money yourself and not be given to it, not be greedy for it. Uh, Put this in your outline. When a man makes the acquisition of it rather than the glory of God, his prime objective. That's not a person who should be a deacon. That's not a person who should be moving up in the body of Christ to serve others. And a deacon is really in a place of just service. They're there to serve other people. He said proved. Let's read that that whole part there. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. Go on to verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Did we skip over? Or did I pull something out here? Go to verse 10. But let these also first be tested and then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. Now, the word tested or "proved" comes from this word and it means to be put to the test for the purpose of approving and having met the test to be approved it doesn 't necessarily mean, nor does it exclude the fact that God may put a particular test in front, but life itself will test you with things, and God is simply going to say let 's see how you do when you're tempted with money, when you are tempted with the, with doing things in the area of money uh, of uh, being inappropriate with it let 's see how you do because that 's going to tell us whether you would handle the responsibilities in the uh in the area of a deacon, how, how well you would do that? So he says, prove to be put to the test for the purpose of approving. God wants to approve us. That's his whole goal. He wants to approve us to move us on. It's just like when you were in third grade and you went through the test to go on to the fourth grade. Their purpose was they wanted to send you on. They did not want to keep you in a third grade. They wanted to, to move on to the fourth grade. And then for the fourth grade, they wanted you to move on to the. Fifth grade, it looks good to them if they're moving you on. It looks bad if they're holding you back. So the purpose of the test was to approve you and to move you on. God does these tests for the purpose of approving us. But sometimes we come out of there disapproved. And we need to go back there and get that thing done. The word blameless here is meaning unaccused. It's a judicial term. What it's basically saying here is... (coughs) It's not God who's doing the test necessarily. You are just coming upon those tests in life. And so as you come upon those tests, the people that are around you should look at you and see you as a blameless person. If the people that are around you are not looking at you as a blameless person or they're seeing you as failing in these tests, then you need to take a a closer look at yourself. It's not necessarily God that's failing you here. Other people can Now it's real simple to to find out how other people are viewing you. How many other people come up and ask you to to help them in areas? See, a lot of people think that a a person in in the area of a deacon in church. Well, the people just meet in a closed dorm, closed door, and they vote on people. Well, we help at this one, help at this one. No, what we're really looking for is that people in the church begin to go to certain ones for these areas, uh, and and we're just kind of all right. Yeah, we see the the calling on that one, and you just kind of approve it. It's the people that are. That are, uh, mostly doing that. Even in the area of the Bible, you know, the books that we have in the Bible, you know, why most of them are in there. We know that there was the councils of this, you know, that proved all these different things. But you know what they use for a criteria? What letters are still circulating around the church? What letters that are circulating around the church are used in the church services? And they just kind of looked at the different books and epistles that were used that Paul wrote, that other ones wrote, and they just said, which ones are used in the church services the most? And they took those and they canonized them. That's really how they they uh, they broke it down. They didn't just pick their favorites. They looked at all the different churches. Which letters are they using? Which letters have kind of fallen by the wayside? And which ones have continued on? And so they're the ones that they picked out of that. They let the, the people almost judge that. Well, the people can recognize life. They can recognize the life of the Word of God. And and the ones that have real true meaning to them would last more than 100 years, more than 50 years. And so by the time they came to the point of approving all these things, a few hundred years later, they uh, had a pretty good track record of which ones were were going around. Let me come over here. Let's uh, finish off verse 10. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. So the purpose was that they needed to be tested in this arena amongst these different qualifications. And then after that, now we'll let them serve as deacons. Now, deacons were to take care of the temporal needs and the uh, overseers, the bishops were to take care of the spiritual needs. Because remember, the whole contra- controversy came up in the book of Acts. That certain ones uh, were not being uh, taken care of into dis- different distributions. And so they said, well, it's not good that we would stop doing what we're doing to wait tables. And so they got somebody else to do it. Now, still, we're not used to this necessarily. We haven't co- caught hold of this con- this concept because we still feel like people that are the so-called ministers in the church should do everything. That's our that's our our thinking. We think that they should do anything. We, we whatever it is has has to be done to church, they should do it. And for the most part, you know, most pastors are the plumbers, the electricians. and uh, not. I mean, we have different ones doing it in here. I'm not talking about here necessarily. But they'll they'll clean the church. They'll rearrange the church. They'll uh, they'll print these things and they'll copy this and they'll they'll do all the different little things. They go around. They they see everybody and they they call everybody and they do all the different things and then they get everything ready for Sunday. And that's not how it's supposed to be. The purpose in Ephesians, put it right there to us. The purpose of the fivefold ministry gift was to equip the church for the work of the ministry. If you only have the fivefold ministry or the pastors, preachers, and, and prophets and whatever else doing all the work in the ministry, then no one else gets developed. That's not the goal. The goal is that the church does the ministry and the fivefold ministry was in there to equip the church to do the ministry. And so the deacons were those who were out there doing the ministry. Some of those would come out as and become deacons. And then probably even from the deacon group, you would have those come out who would uh, become the the elders and the overseers and the, the folks that would be entrusted with the spiritual needs of the church as well as the physical needs of the church. But this is what we need to do. We need to get specialized in these things and understand I have certain things that I do over here. Certain ones have the things that they do over here and, and they're good at this and, and they're good at this and, and we all have different functions in the body. Even in the example of the body, not everyone's supposed to be a hand. Not everyone's supposed to be all parts of the body. We're all supposed to be different, different aspects of it. But then he comes over here to verse 11. And verse 11 is kind of fun the way it's translated. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So that must mean that the deacons are men. Right? Well, not exactly. Because the word there, we have a whole lot of words that were inserted that are not in the original text. The word there for wives comes from the word that means wife or woman depending on the context. It is not referring to wives of deacons. It is actually referring to a second group of deacons because of the wording that is used. The wording that is used here, likewise, that word likewise actually introduces another group. So what you had, you had the first group, which is the overseers. You had the second group, which is the the, the, uh, men deacons. And then a third group, which is the woman deacons. This is actually introducing a whole third group. That word likewise means we are introducing a third group here. Now, I've got three reasons for this, and I wrote these out so we didn't, didn't uh, mess it up. The first, though, the, the word likewise is a translation of hosantos, which is used and introduced in introducing a second or a third in a series. It is used when you were introduced introducing a second or a third in a series. Here in the series, is church officials. There is no possessive pronoun in the Greek. This is the second reason, which would be needed if the women were to be the wives of the deacons. There would need to be a possessive pronoun because the woman needs to be a wife of someone and that word is not there. Third one, the four qualifications which follows correspond with appropriate variations to the first four required of the deacons as regards to demeanor, government of the tongue, use of wine, trustworthiness, and uh, and fourth, there is a section dealing wholly with church officials. Or this is a section dealing wholly with church officials, not their wives. It's dealing with officials. And so we had the first group, which is the overseers. The second group, which is the male deacons. third group, which is the female deacons. That's what it is talking about. So it's not talking about what it says here, their wives. It's not them. Likewise, women is how it should be. Likewise, women must be reverent. Not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. So we have men that are deacons. We have women that are deacons in the church. And that's what he's teaching about there. We also have Phoebe, who's uh, uh, thought to be one of the deacons as well. Romans 16, verse 1. So it says here, don't be slanderers to throw over or across, slander, accuse, or defame. Now, men and women, we all have different tendencies. And, and women have certain tendencies that they can get off in and men have certain tendencies that they can get off in. And so the qualifications here are really focusing around those tendencies that we as men or as women can get off on. And so it talks to the uh, to men about some of the things that they can get off of they can get sidetracked on more. Make sure, men, you have a propensity to this. Stay out of that. It's not okay for you as a deacon. Don't do it. Women, you may have a tendency to go after this, our fallen natures have a tendency to go after it, but he says don't do it, stay out of that, you need to be on guard and to keep these things out of your behavior. So he says, first off, slanderers, Uh, to throw over or across, slander, accuse, or defame. The word is diabolos, anybody know what word comes from that? (laughs) Devil, (laughs) Devil. Devil. (laughs) you get the word devil, so he's talking about a devil woman, no, not really, (laughs) But slanderers, uh, men can talk about other people. I understand that. But women are more prone to it. Men can do it. But generally, we don't care enough to talk about other people. We're just, you know, we're focusing on ourselves. We're, just, we're out there. We're, we're not just, we can do it. We can get off on that thing and we can be guilty of those things. But it just tends to be more, women are more concerned about other people. It's that motherly instinct that's there. There's a good aspect to it, but the corruption of it is it can get into slander. So he says, women, be careful. Don't get yourselves into this slander, accusing or defaming of, of things. Don't get into you know, that gossip type of stuff. Uh, the word here for sober means to be calm, dispassionate, and circumspect. We've seen that word uh, come up before, but it, it is possible for a woman to not be calm, isn't it? It's sometimes possible for a woman to get so passionately involved in something she can't separate herself from it. He's saying, no, if you're going to be a deacon, you need to become become dispassionate about some things. You need to separate your passion from making a decision in this. And he says, circumspect. This same word was used in connection with the bishop. We went over this word pretty much when we were looking at the bishop, the overseer, and such things like that. So he's talking about the woman. woman didn't say this about the men deacons, but he's saying this about the woman. Eh, eh, The woman deacons. Faithful. Faithful in the sense of fidelity or being true to the to the trust imposed in one. Be faithful. There's gonna be trust that's imposed upon you. Now you be faithful to it. You carry that thing out. Whatever that trust is that is put in you, you carry that thing out and you you, you hold that. So these are some things that he's telling them to work on. This is what you need to focus on. Verse twelve. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. He' so talking about who? Second group, the men deacons. We already know that the first group, the overseers, if they are men, they uh, there need to be husbands of one wife. If they were women, they need to be but, you see, but the, the main thing was a woman could be married to two men, but a man could be married to more than one woman. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. And we've seen this qualification come up with the overseers. You need to be able to rule your children. Well. It doesn't mean that your children are perfect. Sometimes pastors got into this thing where they would beat the kids to stomp out any kind of sin, simply because if they had showed any imperfections, it was bad on them. No, he's just saying rule your household well. You're going to have some children that, when they're born, that just seems like they're devils, in the, as soon as they come, and other ones that are just angels as can be. You know, just easy, no problem. Uh, and each child, child is a little bit different. And you as a parent need to govern your discipline and your child-rearing according to each one of those. So he says, ruling the children and their house as well. It goes on to verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. When you are serving well, when you have moved into the position of deacon and has been recognized by the testing and such and people have put you into that, that spot, and you operate in there, you are obtaining for yourself something that is a good standing. There's something there that you can obtain. There's something there that you can press in towards. And you will you will have that. So it, maybe it's you're going to obtain that, and that's something that's going to come into play later on in, in some of the services, some of the ministries you get involved with. Maybe just is in becoming uh, even more of a deacon, whatever it might be. God knows your calling. God knows the direction that you have to go. And that's where you need to take it. But for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing. So there's a certain way that you need to behave to be put into the position of deacon. And once you are there in the position of deacon, you need to serve well. Great standing and boldness in the faith. The better we serve, the more we have our behavior and this kind of conduct, according to how Paul lays it out. You have boldness because you don't have all those things holding you back. You don't wonder, well, what if this thing came out? What if people found out that I did this or I was going out? They don't have to worry about that because it's not there. So you can be a whole lot more bold. You know, if if a police officer pulls you over. And, you know, you didn't do anything. You may be a little bit more bold when you when he approaches the window. If you knew you were speeding. You may not be as bold. If you knew you ran a red light. You may not be as bold. I still love the thing my grandfather used to always tell us. He says, a police officer pulled him over. And he says, son, do you know why I pulled you over? He says, yeah, you couldn't catch anybody else. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not a recommended answer yeah, <laughs> <Too odd> to <laughs> to go after that. But, uh, uh, you know, there's certain boldness that we'll have when we are, are, are faced with that type of situation. Because I know I've, I've done what I should do. I live my life the way that I should. So boldness will come. Verse 14, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is in the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. This sounds like he's telling Timothy how he should conduct himself. He is not. Paul does not need to tell Timothy how to conduct himself in the house of God. He's telling him how people in the church should conduct themselves. If Paul has to tell Timothy how to conduct himself in the house of God, Timothy would not be in the position he's in. Timothy is in the position he's in because he does not need anyone to tell him how to conduct himself in the house of God. But what he is telling him is this. Now that you are over this house of God that is here at Ephesus, as you look out over the people, this is what you need to look for. You look for these people that are behaving this way. When you find these people that are behaving this way, these are the ones that you move into this position. These are the ones you move into this position. But you wait until you see them operating that way. When you see them operating that way, then you move them in. Don't move them in too soon. He says, "Don't move them in as a novice. Don't move them in before they're tested and tried, before they've been proved. He says, "Don't do that. Watch them. You as the pastor. Watch how the people behave. Watch how they order themselves. They should desire to have these, to to go after and and do these things for God. And they should also go after these qualities in themselves. So uh, these instructions are not for how Timothy should behave, but for those in the church and how they should conduct themselves. I've uh, wrote in here, I've, come on. Yep, that's the verse we want. I wrote in here another translation of this, but let's read it in the New King James first. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how, to, uh, how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is in the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. Verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the word, received up in glory. The word there for God is actually not in the, in the uh, context at all. It actually says Who? And the inference there that it's Christ. Have this uh, from Weist. And confessedly, which is a better translation than without controversy. And confessedly, great is the mystery of godliness who was made visible in the sphere of flesh, vindicated in the sphere of the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Well, that's a good summary of the gospel <laughs> right there. That's what he says we're to do. The things that were missing from this list there were any the others. We didn't see anything about the word temperate, uh except for the, the the woman we saw. They were uh but not so much with the men. Uh sober minded. We saw that again with with one and not necessarily with the other. Uh, of good behavior is is uh cosm cosmios that one was missing. Orderly or modest. Uh the word hospitable was not in this list. That seems to be something more for the ones that are given to spiritual oversight. Now, able to teach is missing from the deacons, but that is one that is in the ones that are given to spiritual oversight. Not given to wine was put into both of li- uh, those lists. Not violent was uh, left in the other list for the uh, overseer, not for the ones here for the deacons. Well, the deacons are dealing with natural things. The overseers are dealing with spiritual things, and maybe sometimes those spiritual things can get you a little upset. And he says, you need to be in a place where you don't get yourself upset. Uh, not greedy for money. That's one that was in uh, both areas. Gentle. Mild, gentle, moderation, patient, and peaceable. That was actually, a, when we went into that, it's actually a pretty tough quality to, to get. He didn't put it in the list with the, with the deacons, but it is in there with the overseers. Not quarrelsome, one given to fighting. I would have thought that one might have made its way into the deacon's list, but uh, <laughs> that, that didn't seem to make it in. So there's some things that were left off and some things that were uh, in there as repeated. But what we're seeing here is that there are two areas of ministry in the church underneath of Timothy. One dealt with the oversight of the spiritual condition and one dealt with the oversight of the physicals, the, the, the things that dealt with their temporal physical realm. And we have one group that focused on that and another group that focused on the spiritual. And then Timothy was to oversee all the, all the things that went on. And as each one functioned in there and did what they needed to do, the church functioned well. And the church did what it was supposed to do. And this is what Paul is telling him. Now you're going to have to have people for all these different areas. And when you have to have people for these different areas, this is what you need to look for. Now Sometimes I think, a uh, look at our church, I don't think we quite have these odd ministries down as much. We need to sometimes get ourselves focused on how am I doing on these lists? And if there's something in there that we're, that's, that's being held back on, that we're not quite getting into the way we should, we need to fix it. We need to do our own checkpoint, find out what uh, we need to do. How many have ever made checklists? You ever made a checklist? checklist? You know why you do that? So you don't leave something off, so you don't forget something that's important. I made one out for the bunk beds because, you know, there's nothing worse. Then loading up a bunk bed into a truck, going out there to do the the uh, job of of doing all that, and finding out you forgot the wheels, or you forgot a clamp, or you forgot the stain, or something. And so there was different things that I would have to bring for each each one of these things. And so what I did was I put on my phone, I put a little simple checklist bunk bed. And I wrote everything that I could possibly need for any bunk bed that I would do. And so the list was about 16 items. I don't need all 16 items for each one. But I need to make sure that each of those 16 items, you know, one item might be uh, two or three things or even up to eight. But I just need to check for them. Do you have the rails? Do you have the sides? Do you have the bolts? Do you have the wheels? Do you have the bunkie boards? Do you have the clamps? Do you have this bag? Do you have that bag? Because one time I got all the way out there and I forgot. I remember this one real well. I was down in Philadelphia and I forgot the yellow toolbox. The yellow toolbox had a whole lot of stuff in it that the other toolboxes don't have. One of which was the screws that hold down the bunkie boards. Another one was the bits that I used to drive the bolts and the bits that are used to drive the screws for the bunkie boards. I am an hour away from home and I don't have these simple things. I kick myself uh, up... <laughs> you I mean, when you doing all this? So I um, had to go out to a hardware store and find screws that I could use in place of them, find bits to drive them. I had to find a bit to replace the one that I had, which didn't work nearly as well as the one that I had, and I came on back and used all those because it was still easier than driving an hour back. and that's the one that prompted me. I'm going to make up a list. I'm going to checklist, I'm going <laughs> to check off those things and make sure. But that's only, that checklist only works if you use it because urban sometimes I got everything, and I didn't check it. And I did leave off something. Not as bad as that yellow toolbox I left (laughs) before. But there are times that I left off something. And um, you get yourself in trouble. So you have the checklist there. Paul's given us a checklist. Here's some things. These are the important ones. There's a whole lot of other qualities. There's a lot of other things you can have as a Christian. But if you want to move on into the things of God, you need to have these things. Run through the checklist. How are you doing on this? If you wonder why God hasn't put you into a position to minister to people more, how are you doing on a checklist? How are things going in that area? What you, what you doing with that? And we need to, to do that. We need to get ourselves functioning that way. Because we need to have more people in the church that are ready to take care of the physical aspects of church life. We need to have more people in the church that are ready to take care of the spiritual aspects of church life. Because in, as we have those things going on, they are developed. They're taking care of You know, I, I can't go around and visit all the hospitals. Doesn't do any good anyway. What does do good is if we're all equipped and we all begin to grow in that area and we go visit the hospitals and we visit the, the sick, not just the people that we know, but people maybe we don't even know. We need to be ready to do it. And so he's given us these lists and these qualities here of, of things that we need to, to do. If a thing is important to you, you write down that checklist and you put it in front of you. How many of you would... Have, Put a checklist like this in front of you and come back to it all the time. How am I doing here? Am I am I quarrelsome? Am I uh, uh, temperate? Am I am I? And we just keep come back and checking ourselves out on these things because whatever it is that we need to do, there's there's certain things that'll help us do better. You know, we've been in sports, right, Jeremy? You're in sports. Uh, I've been in sports before, and when you're in sports, what's your coach do? He says, here, work on these things. Do this, right? Well, I got a checklist. I I work on these things. This makes it real easy. I work on this. I work on this. I work on this. And I focus on those. Here, all right, you got a good game, but you're weak here. You need to do this. And so he tells us some things that we need to do. And I got a checklist. Paul's giving us a checklist. He's saying, this is what you need to do. Focus on these things. Get these things going. So over the last three weeks we were on this, I hope you kept the checklist and that you'll put it in front of you. I need to do these things. First off, desire. No matter what you're going to do, what other checklist you're going to go after, you've got to have the desire for it. First area of checklist, there's there's a women deacons checklist and there's a men deacon checklist. You ought to have that down on there. How am I doing on the men's checklist? How am I doing on the women's checklist? And then from there, we have the overseers. If you want to be an overseer, he didn't really separate the men and the women so much on that one. But here in the the Deacon ones, he separated the men and the women. If you want to be an overseer, you desire a good thing. It's a good thing to do that. But here's a checklist. How are you doing on that? Get those things. Because whatever it is that's important, we keep in front of our eyes. We keep that checklist there. This is what I need to focus on. This is what I need to do. Well, Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in the Word of God, the instruction that you give us. It's so nice to have a checklist that we can just go on down. How am I doing in this area? That we can understand, that we have with clarity. We know I need to work on this. I need to get this going. I need to have this better off in my life. Thank you for the help that you give us, Father, in doing this, in accomplishing these things for you. For we want to become leaders in your church because we love you. We want to serve those that are around us. We thank you for the help. In that, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.